0: taken from the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 51, and it's verses 4 to 8, and it can be found on page 739 of the uh, Bibles. Listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me, my justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever my salvation through all generations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 12. And this can be found on page 1045. Sorry, 44. Luke 12, beginning to read at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will bear down my barns, tear down my barns, and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> but God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. morning, As we come to God's word, now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your written word of scripture may now and always be our rule. Your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Every day I take the I newspaper, and if you're one of those people who's sensible enough, if I may say so, to do so, you'll know that every mo- there is a little quote just inside the front page. and They're always very thought-provoking and often very funny. A recent one was by somebody who I'd never heard of, who's called Lord Mancroft, and he said this, Cricket is a game which the English not being a spiritual people, have invented in order to give themselves some conception of eternity. (laughs) Obviously that was before the IPL in 2020. Whether or not he was right, it is eternity which is our focus this morning. As we continue our series from Luke's Gospel and we consider the teaching of Jesus. And before we look at the story of the rich fool, which we've just read together, we need as always to see it in context and ask why it was that Jesus chose to tell this particular story. And in chapter 12 of Luke, where we've just been reading from, Luke, who of course was thinking very carefully about how he was place his material, places it between serious teaching about commitment and what is involved in following Jesus, and he then follows that with encouragement to place all our trust in him and not to be anxious. For it is at this stage in Jesus' ministry that opposition is building up, and following him is not a soft option one that you can just take or leave as the whim takes you, but it's something that requires total commitment and complete integrity to stand against the prevailing culture and spiritual opposition. And Jesus underlined this by saying, I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. For if they hadn't realised it before, Jesus is emphasising to those who follow him, or were thinking of following him, that this is serious stuff. And it demands utter and total Commitment. And inherent in what he is saying, and we'll be considering later, is an eternal perspective and a sense of priorities. But having issued this warning, Jesus then balances it with a lovely encouragement. For he says to them, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you're worth far more than many sparrows. And it's at that point that Jesus' teaching was interrupted by someone who was in the crowd, who had come there that day to ask a very particular question and obviously hadn't been listening to what Jesus had been saying. He was only interested in his personal concerns. For he says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And at that time, the guidelines for inheritance were those laid down in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, as we have it now, and said that the eldest son received double a younger son's portion. And where there was a dispute, as clearly there was in this case, it was the responsibility of the rabbis to sort it out. Which is why this man had come to Jesus in his role as a rabbi. And from the nature of his question, he clearly hadn't been listening to Jesus up to this point, as Jesus sees through his selfishness and his materialism, which prompts him to say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of their possessions. And as so often in these situations, Jesus goes on to illustrate his point by telling a story one that his listeners could immediately relate to. For they would have had no problem imagining the rich man and his dilemma about what to do with his abundant crop. Now this was a land where most people lived at subsistence level and were a bad harvest away from ruin. Yet this thought doesn't occur to this man. His only concern is with himself and his needs. So instead of sharing his prosperity, his solution is to tear down his older, inadequate bonds and build brand new ones. Bigger bonds were the order of the day. And then, smug and self-satisfied, he says to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. You can see it now, can't you? Feet up, cigar lit, job done. And there may have been many in the crowd who would have empathised with the rich man and perhaps, for all we know, even envied him and seen this as a pretty good result. But as so often happens with his stories, Jesus jolts his listeners with a punchline. But God said to him, You fool! This would have been the last thing that they were expecting. And I wonder how his questioner felt. Fool? Why fool? For in the original, this is a strong emphasised word. And the reason he was a fool, because that night, his life would end. Then, who would get all that he'd stored up? An eager young reporter attended the funeral of Nelson Rockefeller. At that time, was America's richest man. And as being a journalist keen to get a story, he asked, how much did he leave? To which came the stark reply, everything. Today, we're used to people saying, you can't take it with you, although in the past some have tried. In ancient Egypt, dead pharaohs were accompanied on their final journey by the most elaborate and costly gifts for the afterlife. Just think what was discovered in the tomb of Tutankhamun. But all to no avail. For what is lacking here is hope, a hope that only faith in Jesus can give because of his death and resurrection. As a minister over the years, it has been my privilege to conduct many funerals and to spend time with people in their grief. And the funeral service is built around the reality of the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. And in the service, the deceased is committed to God's mercy, for it is not for us to judge. Yet you notice a huge difference in the attitude of the mourners where there is a live and active faith in God. For them, even in the midst of genuine sadness and grief, there is a deep assurance that their loved one is safe with Jesus and that the relationship begun in this life will go on into eternity, except then it'll be even better. And this contrasts so vividly with those who have no such hope or a vague feeling that perhaps somehow it'll be all right even if there's nothing really there to base it on. And as Jesus was later to comment, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the thing that matters most to us will influence all that we do or say, and will eventually be apparent to all who know us. For sometimes we don't even realise it ourselves, unless it's made known to us. And I would like, if I may, to give a personal example which may resonate with someone here. Earlier in the year, I was reading Acts for my regular Bible study. It was very familiar, as I'd read it many, many times before. But then, as can happen with God, something leapt off the page and spoke deeply into my situation. I'd reached chapter 5, and the amazing incident when the apostles, having put in jail for preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, were sprung from jail by an angel and told to preach in the temple courtyard. Once the authorities realised what had happened, they had the apostles re-arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin the Jewish ruling council. And there they continued to preach the good news of Jesus, which so infuriated the rulers that they wanted them put to death. It is at this point that what spoke to me so clearly comes in. For a wise man named Gamaliel, the most renowned scholar of his day and the Apostle Paul's teacher, spoke up and said this, Consider carefully what you are doing. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in these days of the census, and led a band in people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. And here's the point now where I'm, of why I'm telling you this story. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And when I read that on that particular morning, the impact on me was like an electric shock as it brought home to me an awareness of something about myself that I hadn't up to then really known or acknowledged. And that is a desire to influence events where you long for God to be at work and not to allow God to be God and work his purposes out in his way. For God's desire is that once we have discerned his perfect will, it's to cooperate with him and not to seek to set the agenda. I'm still learning and that awareness has been a very good guide. And Jesus made this clear when he described himself in John chapter 15 as the true vine. And we, his followers, are the branches. For our job is to stay rooted in him. For as he said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, in other words, cut off from me, he's saying, you can do Nothing. And this is such an important lesson for us to learn. And as you can tell, I'm taking myself in this. Yet we are so tempted to do things in our own strength. And to the world outside us, it can look very impressive. The temptation is just as great within the church as with the self-satisfied farmer. For what matters are our motivation and our sense of priorities. And in both cases, it can be a sense of putting self first. What is best for me? What makes me look good? Who are we seeking to impress? And at the deepest level, why do we do what we do? We live in the age of the selfie and an obsession with celebrity for which the church is not immune and this is why Jesus sums up his story and considers a farmer a fool with these words this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves whether those things be fame public approval, or as in the story, greed. For the implications of this story go far wider than money or possessions and gets to the heart of what really matters to us. Is our first desire to be rich towards God and to put him and his kingdom first? Even when it means letting go of what humanly we hold most dear. For as Jesus goes on to say, we gain this riches in God by seeking first His kingdom, and it's then that other things will be added, so that our desires and our deeds can be purified in order for them to be in step with God. For as the song says, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain based on the death and resurrection of Jesus and the promises of God. In our reading from Isaiah, the prophet is seeking to raise the vision of the people of Israel in exile from their homeland and to encourage them with God's eternal purposes. Listen, he says, to what God is saying to you. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail, because it will go on into eternity. In the very darkest period in the nation's history, God speaks to them a word of hope to those who will listen. Something that the rich man signally failed to do. And he was left without hope. In fact, he'd lost the plot so completely that Jesus called him a fool. When I was teaching, we used to have a series of books which were used for assemblies called arch books. Some of you may even remember them. They were very colourful and they were written in rhyme. And they were very effective in getting a story across, often using humour. And the one portraying the rich fool was very funny. And was in an image that had stayed with me until I began to prepare for this morning. For I now realise how serious it is and how important it is to understand what Jesus is saying to us. Here, now, today, for his words are just as relevant now as they were then. All of us, either consciously or unconsciously, can be constructing bigger bonds from a variety of motives. The question I ask myself is: What are my bonds, and are what are they built? It's a serious matter. For the answer has eternal consequences. So, as each one of us now reflects on God's word to us today, let us ask ourselves what are our bonds and on what foundation are we building them?